going to be our uh, last Sunday in this great chapter of the Bible. And this is, to me, this is my, my favorite of all of the uh, messages thus far from Romans that I've had the privilege to bring to you. It's Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. And so before we open up, before we do this, I want to I read this word over you and then ask for God's blessing as I preach and as you hear. Romans chapter eight, verse 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who, is, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, quoted from Psalm 44, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Father, may you today give us eyes to see and ears to hear this precious word spoken to our hearts today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. What I want to invite you to do is open up your, uh, to your outline there. And we're just going to walk through. We've got uh, a lot to cover today. And I believe we can, we can do this well. I believe the Lord, the Lord will use this as he has been using this uh, really for my heart and for my good since the first time I read it. In fact, he was doing a lot of this before I ever read this. This is a text that will change your life. And it will change the way you view all circumstances that you will ever be in. I want you to see what Paul does first as he is going to call us to remember the gospel. And Keith says it every single week. I need to be faithful to say it, that we are people who are monumental forgetters. Yeah, good job. Y'all are awesome. We're monumental forgetters. And therefore, we need to be called constantly, reminded to remember. And so that's what I'm going to do today. And that's what Paul does for us there at the beginning of these verses, calls us to remember the gospel. Look at what he says. He he says, what then shall we say to these things? And what he means is, there's actually different interpretations of exactly what he's referring to, but more than likely he's talking about in light of all that we've looked at thus far in the book of Romans, in this letter to this point, You know, what shall we say in response to what we've heard? 
He could potentially be talking about the you know, verses that we looked at last week, just the promise that those who are in Christ, that we are not only justified, but we're promised to one day be glorified with Jesus. Regardless, he is saying in light of the gospel, in light of the good news, this is what all I want you to remember. And look at what he says. And how, what should we, how should we respond when we've heard the good news. And this is what he says, if God is for us, and I can say this, if God is for me, who can be against me? And in Christ Jesus, you can say this, and this has so much application for your life. If God is for you, who could possibly come against you? And the answer is no one. The answer is nothing. And to the extent that we believe that will be the extent that we have absolute freedom in the Lord. He says this, and this is our mark. This is, we can ask the question, and all of you should, you should say, okay, how can you know, and how could you say, how could Paul say, how can the word of God say that we can know that God is for us? He says, he who did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him, with Jesus, graciously give us all things? The marker that we look to, to know that we're loved by God is this, is that on the cross, Jesus died in our place. And I don't believe that everybody in this room feels that or gets that to the same extent. I, I, I don't believe, I mean, like the, the way that I feel the weight of that now is different than the weight that I felt 10 years ago. Because I've looked more deeply at what it means for Jesus to die in my place. But you need to understand that God's word spoken over you is this, is he says, I am for you. And you can know that because I did not spare my own son, but I gave him up for you. I gave him up for you. The language should point us back all the way to another chapter of the Bible that we've studied from this pulpit. Genesis chapter 22. It's language given with Abraham. It was, he was called to sacrifice and the scripture says his only son. He was called to kill Isaac. And when Abraham, of course, went to kill Isaac, the Lord did what? He, he placed a ram in the thicket. He, he gave him something to sacrifice instead of his son. The Lord drawing our attention to that moment says, but I, when my son, when he was before me to be crushed and to be killed, there was no other substitute. I did not spare him, but he was killed. He died in your place. So you can forever know that I'm for you. Paul tells us to remember the gospel that he didn't spare his own son, but he gave him up for us. I want you to understand this. Walk, walk through it with me as we walk down the page. In the gospel, all of our charges, all of the possible condemnation, all of it has been placed upon the perfect son of God. So who can bring charge against us? Well, well nobody. 
Who can speak condemnation over us that's effective? No one. No one. We've already seen this in the book of Romans and it's a reminder. We've got to remember the gospel. Remember, because of the work of Christ, if you believe in him, if you look to him, if you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you could not today be, I mean, you could not in 10,000 years be more right with God than you sit in this very room today. That's the power of justification. You can't be more justified in 10,000 years than you are on this very day. Who can bring a charge against us? Well, nobody. Nobody. There's no more charges. There's no more condemnation. Now, with that being said, I, I do think you need to understand a little bit of my story just from last week. Okay, so I'm gonna take you back. I was sitting right here. Okay, so we'll, I'll even walk down to make sure I'm feeling it, okay? So I, I distributed the, the Lord's Supper right here. And as I was distributed, uh, as that was taking place, charges were, were coming my way. As I was passing it out right here, condemnation was being spoken over my life. You like to hear that, that your pastor feels that way? It's real life, it's a real, real story. Went and sat over here, sat down, and I think it was about this seat right here. And all I could hear was this. You don't really care anymore. You're apathetic. There's no fruit from you. You're not worthy of the call to ministry. You shouldn't even stand up. That's what I heard right there. The Lord brought me to this text as I sat there. And I read this very scripture. I want to read it for you. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Who shall bring any charge against God's people? I sat there as one of his people. It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Here's what I heard, and it's what you need to hear today. When charges come, whether it's from Satan himself, whether it is from a demonic force, whether it's from your flesh, whether it is from your family or people who are in your life, no matter where the charges or the condemnation is spoken from, we can know this. Jesus died. Jesus rose. He ascended into heaven at the right hand of the Father. That means he's at a place of power. He's alive today. And it says that he intercedes for us. I sat on that row and this is what calmed my heart and changed everything for me. As the Lord said, Jesus Christ, my son is praying for you. And it's effective. And I got up and said, who? Charges? Condemnation? What? My father has the son of God, my savior, praying to him for me. So I did, okay. 
Seriously, do, do you get that? Like we're told in God's word that Jesus, the one who pardoned us, prays for us. Do you see? I, I would have felt comfort and I do feel comfort when people come to me and they say, hey, we're praying for you and your family. We're praying for your kids. We're praying for your ministry. I'm praying for you. I hope you find comfort when we tell you, when we say, hey, as a staff, we're praying for you and your family, we pray for you. I hope you feel the weight of that and you're encouraged by that. I am always encouraged when people are praying for me. But let me tell you, it's, it's a different ball game when God's word says, my son's praying for you. The risen savior of the universe is praying for you. Here's why. What he prays will always and forever be effective. The risen savior, Jesus, what he prays will always be effective. I want to show you a a passage that that really has spoken to me this morning. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 7. You you can look on the screen if you want to. Katie, can you bring up Hebrews 7? Go go up. uh, Let's see. Yeah, that's that's perfect. Thank you so much. Okay. Hebrews 7, 20. Go go 24 and 25. Can you do that? Or is it already just 25? Okay, this is fine. All right. This is in light of the writer of Hebrews. Here we go. He's talking about the priesthood, okay? Which may not seem to make much sense and why I would bring that up right now, but it makes all the sense in the world actually for me to bring it up because we're told in the text we're in that Jesus Christ, that he died, that he rose, and then he ascended, okay? And you've got that on your outline. Next to that, if you wanna jot some notes, whenever we say ascension or that he ascended or he went to be with the Father, it's making reference to what Psalm 110 refers to as the right hand of God, that he ascended to the right hand of the Father. Psalm 110, when it makes that quote, is in reference to one who would be a high priest with all authority. The writer of Hebrews is writing to us about Jesus and his role as the great high priest or the ultimate high priest. And here's what it says about Jesus. It says, but he holds his priesthood permanently. That means that Jesus will always be our our priest. He will always, look what it says, because he continues forever. Going to 25, Katie. It says, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Why or how? Since he always lives to make intercession for them. I'm gonna read it one more time. Consequently, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. That means that, listen to me, this may be deep for you, but just roll with it for a second. You're eternally secure because his priesthood is everlasting. So if you came in here today and your idea of security was I prayed once, I believed once, so I'm always good, that's it. I want you to know it's a lot more than that. 
From the time that you placed your faith in Christ and you became his, you are safe forever and always because he lives to make intercession for you. Do you see that? He's able to save to the uttermost, to save completely. Why? Because he always is praying for us and he will always keep us. All of his prayers, they're 100% effective. Jesus Christ makes intercession for us. I've asked the question several times, you know, just kind of sitting around thinking, maybe coffee conversations, those kind of things. But I've said, what, what do you think Jesus is praying? Like, what might he be praying for us? And I want you to consider this question for for a minute, but what I want us to do is look at John 17. So hold your place there in Romans 8, flip over to John 17. This this text is actually referred to or called, at least the ESV calls it this, the high priestly prayer. And I believe there's at least three things here that we could make an argument for that Jesus is currently praying for our lives, for us. The first one's this, I believe that Jesus Christ is praying that we would be kept from the evil one, that we would be kept from Satan. Look at John 17, verse 15. Jesus says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from what? The evil one. I want you to think about for just a second, Peter. And and Peter is a guy that I always appreciate because I feel like he talked about as much as I do. And that's good and bad uh, in a lot of ways. But Peter got himself in trouble a lot. And one particular time, this is in the context of, of Jesus telling him that he will actually deny deny him, that that Peter will deny Jesus. This is what Jesus says to him. It's in, you don't have to flip there, but Luke 22, verse 31. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. And don't think you're above that. Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But Jesus said, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, when you've turned again, because it's gonna deny, when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. See, Jesus told Peter, Satan demanded to have you, but I prayed for you. I stood up and prayed for you. I want you to know, Jesus Christ is interceding for us, his people. And I believe very strongly that he is praying that we would be kept from the evil one. I think it could be said to all of us, Satan demanded to have you, but hear the voice of your Lord, the resurrected Jesus say, but I prayed for you. Secondly, I believe he's praying for our sanctification. Verse 17 of John 17, he says to the father, he says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. I believe he's praying for us that we would grow into who we've been promised to finally be. And see, or thirdly there, he, he prays for my glorification, for me to be made complete. 
in Jesus. Verse 24, he says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Jesus prays for his people. We can know that God's for us. He's not against us because Jesus died, Jesus rose, Jesus ascended, and Jesus intercedes. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Secondly, I want you to see, we're not only called in this text to remember the gospel, but we're called to celebrate our security in his love for us to celebrate our security in his love for us. There's a couple of points I wanna make that I've already made today and we've made them numerous times, but we'll make them again. And it says, I just want you to understand and walk out of this place knowing for sure that in Christ, condemnation doesn't exist for my life. There's no more condemnation. Secondly, I want you to walk out of this place celebrating that there is no more separation. There's no more condemnation and there's no more separation. God will not leave us. He will not forsake us. There's no more separation for us. You hear the the question there. It's in verse 35 of Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Like, Like what could get in between us and the Lord? What could break us up? Like, that's the question that's here. Because we live in a breakup society. You understand? Like, we live in a society where people give their word and they break it. You and I are are not, we're not far along enough that there hasn't been a day when we broke our word. And so there's a point when we look and we say, well, surely, Surely, if this is taking place in my life, if this is how I am, if this is how I feel, if this is what my family's like, if this is what my job's like, if this is what I'm going through, we've obviously been separated. God broke up with me. God left me. But the question is answered differently than that. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And here's what we hear. No one and nothing. Nothing in all creation, I love that. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I want us to talk about that for just a minute. We, we, we see there's no more condemnation. There's no more separation. But in response to that, look at the third part there. There's only victory. This is where we have to chat. There's only victory for those in Christ. Paul's argument here, he says, nothing shall separate you from the love of Christ. Come to me and everything will be perfect. No, he didn't say that, I'm just kidding. You know that is not true. See, the reason why this text is difficult, but also why it's so freeing, why it's so comforting is this, is we know that this life's not easy. We know that there's temptation in this life to say, God must not be for me. We know there's places in our life where we are challenged, we are tempted to doubt that God is even good. 
Romans 8 tells us that we are to celebrate our security in his love for us and that for us in Christ, no matter what we go through, there is only victory. Let's look at that for a second. Look look at the words here. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? It says, shall tribulation, shall distress, What about persecution? What about famine or nakedness or danger or sword? What about those things? And I want you to remove yourself from this nice cushioned seat for just a moment. And I want you to put yourself in the midst, in the context of these words. And I want you to see how easy it is to believe that God's for you. What is tribulation? Tribulation, I'm gonna define it for our time as this, a severe trial or suffering something that came about that crushed you. This is not something easy. This isn't just your tire blue, even though that can be really difficult. This is something that feels like a plague in your life. What happens when you're in the midst of that? Severe trials, severe suffering. Is it easy at that point to say, God's for me. He loves me. No. Not if we base it on our circumstances. What about distress? I'm going to describe it this way, where everything feels like it's unraveling and undone. What happens? Like, have you been in that moment before where it, it could be during a tribulation, it could be during severe suffering, but that just nothing really seems to matter anymore. Like you feel completely undone. Like you're like, how can I go to work? How can I go to a game? How can I listen to music in my car again? How can I, like you just feel like everything's unraveled. Nothing uh, seems purposeful. Everything seems undone. It's really hard at that point just to celebrate God's love. If we celebrate it based only on our circumstances. What about persecution? That is this, and you gotta live in it for a minute. It's this, my faith has brought me pain. It's Mother's Day, so I'm gonna do this. My faith has brought my children pain. That's a picture of persecution that Paul's writing about. Like my family is at risk because of my faith. When he says persecution, that's what he means. Famine. Now look, it, I pray the same, you know, our kids, we pray the same thing as your kids, you know, pray at the table, you know, for, we thank the Lord for our food. We, uh, you know, we, we do all that. We sing all the songs, we do all those things. But listen, it's easy for us, I think sometimes to be thankful for our food because we always have it. Like, let's be honest. Like most of us, like we have plenty of food. Like my food budget is unreal. How would I feel if my kids couldn't eat? How would I feel if I had been hungry for a week? How would I feel about saying God's for me? He's not against me. What about nakedness? We don't even have clothes. We don't even have clothes to wear. We don't have food. We don't have clothes. We don't have this. How can God be for me? Hadn't taken a shower. We don't have that. There's people all around the world. This is what they deal with. 
What about danger? Put you and your family in danger for a minute. See how your prayer life changes. See how your thoughts change. What happens if you're in danger and at the end of it is the next thing, a sword? God is for us, not against us. See, you can't just celebrate things and not place yourself in them. These are crucial moments in our lives. We may never see a sword, but we will certainly suffer. When our faith will be tested and we will be tempted to ask, is God really for me? Is God even good? This past week, I don't don't know if any of you read the article that I wrote in the portrait, but I wrote in light of these verses about my family. And as I wrote, I, it's just, I believe a very strong testimony. It's my testimony. So I'm, I'm proud of it. But it's this, is that I, I think back on the, these last uh, three weeks and two days and probably a few hours I could count where we've had uh, Lewis, you know, in our arms. And just so you know, Lewis is adorable and he, he sleeps okay, <laughs> but he's adorable and we love him and we're soaking up every second we can with him, Catherine especially. Our girls adore him. And I just wanna say publicly, I love my family. I know you know that if you've been around us, but I love my kids. I'm very thankful for them. They bring so much joy to me. And just a little bit, Lucy is actually gonna be coming uh, forward. She's, she's believed for about a year and a half or so, but she's coming forward for baptism on June the 4th, which I'm ecstatic about, obviously, but I'm just, I'm proud of who they are. I'm proud of who they're becoming. And when I'm with them, I'm reminded of the goodness of God. But I wanna be very clear to you, my knowledge that God is good, me being able to say in our home, God is good, is not because we lost our son and now we have four children. God is not good because now we have children that we raise. We experience God's goodness as we hold and love and care for our kids. But Jesus Christ is as good today And he was as good when we held our son stillborn as he is when we hold Lewis in our arms today. And for some of you, you need to understand God's goodness, it's not measured in the gifts that he gives. It's measured in that he loves us so much that Jesus Christ died in our place. If Jesus would die in my place and the father would offer him in my place, would he not provide anything else I ever needed? Would he not graciously give me anything else I needed? That's what the scripture says. So that if I sit holding my son who I wanted to raise, I can still celebrate that God's good and that he's worthy as I do when I wrestle in the floor with my kids today. 
See, I know God is good because he gave up his son for us all. But now as I hold my children, I experience his goodness. Until you can understand the gospel, the good news of what Christ has done is weighing more than any circumstance that you enter in. You won't be able to experience his goodness in the things that he gives. Listen, in light of this incredible truth that he loves us, that nothing can separate us, not death, not life, Isn't that crazy? Not even death can bring a loss in our column. Like even when we die, we still win. We still have the victory. We're even more than a conqueror. We don't just win, we're more than a conqueror. Somehow, even the horrible things, God's able to give victory in them and they're actually used for our salvation. He says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors, even in the tribulation and the distress and the famine, even when people are being killed all the day long. Psalm 44, if you go back and look at that, that's a, that's a Psalm that is, the writer is questioning, God, how can you be good if all of these things are happening? How can you be good if people are dying and if we're sick? Are you idle? Are you here? And from that text is placed here in the middle of Romans 8, so that a people who are prone to feel that kind of feeling and have that kind of uh, uh, faith that's pulled away. Listen, we will read this and know, even in the midst of being killed all the day long, we're still a conqueror. Death can't stop it, can't separate us. Life, nothing in this life can separate us. Angels and rulers, that's really the spiritual realm. Nothing can separate us, nor things present, nor things to come. Nothing that is here before us today, nothing that will come in the future, nor power over us, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation, you name it, and it can go on this list, and we can hear none of it will separate you in Christ from God's love period. Remember the gospel, celebrate our security in his love for us. And last, in light of all of that, let's risk it all for the good of his kingdom. Let's risk it all, if that's true, for the good of his kingdom. What I mean by that? Well, listen, let's be a people who are for what God is for. Let's be a people who are for what God is for. Christianity in a lot of ways is known for what we're against. And I want you to hear really loudly, if God is for you, who can be against you? God is for us, so we should be for each other. It should be this way for the Christians. If God is for Alberta City, I wanna be for Alberta City. If God is for you, I want to be for you. I want to be for what God is for. And God's for bringing his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Let's be for what God is for. Let's be willing, the next point there, willing to give sacrificially. 
Be willing to give sacrificially. In light of God who didn't spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all. Let's be a people who we are generous, that we give sacrificially. We're willing to give so that others may have. I've thought about this so much the last couple of weeks. I'm about to close, but I just wanna give this to you right here. This thought of bearing burdens, bearing burdens or sacrificing for someone else. And for me, this is not really a financial issue. It's a time issue. And so last week I kept asking this question to myself, but it was this, why is it that so often I'm only willing to bear your burden if it doesn't bring burden upon me? Why is it that oftentimes I will only bear your burden if I can bear it between 8.30 and 4.30? Like I'll bear your burden, I'll enter into your life as long as it doesn't stress me out. That's the temptation. That's not how I really always think. But for us, oftentimes we're not pushed hard enough into the world by the gospel. Not willing to bear burdens. I want you to know if we understand what Jesus Christ has done for us, we should be willing to risk it all for the good of his kingdom, for God's glory and for the good of other people. Leading us to lastly there, love purposefully and freely. To love purposefully and freely. Uh, I say purposely because (laughs) love doesn't always feel Um, You know, like, I don't always feel like loving you. I don't always feel like entering into somebody's life. I certainly don't always feel like sacrificing or, you know, carrying somebody else's burden. But yet when I look at my Lord and I look at him bearing the greatest burden so that I could walk free, I'm pushed to bear yours at any cost. Let's love purposefully and freely. Not always because fuzzy feelings come with it, but because it's God glorifying. Let's be a church marked by this, that we believe the gospel so much that we wanna reflect it in our lives. I wanna pray for you today. And here's what I wanna pray. I wanna pray that anybody in the room, wherever you are, that you would feel the confidence and you would feel uh, in your heart the, the ability to let go of anything that you are currently involved in, any circumstance, any trial, any suffering, any doubts, anything that you have, and you'd be able to bring them to the Lord and you would hear him speak over you today, you, you are mine, I love you and I'm for you. If you need somebody to pray over you, to intercede on behalf of you as Jesus is even interceding for you today, come and I would love to pray for you today. I would love to, in the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for who you are and for what you've done.